Thinking aloud. Conversations on the leading edge of knowledge and discovery with psychologist Jeffrey Mishlove. Hello and welcome. I'm Jeffrey Mishlove. Today we are going to explore the life of a forgotten mystic, George William Russell, who wrote under the pen name of A.E. and was an extremely influential figure in many dimensions in the early part of the 20th century. He was a poet, an artist, a mystic, a social activist. My guest today is my good friend James Tunney, the Irish barrister who has lectured all over the world in matters of law. He is the author of several books on mysticism, including The Mystical Accord, Sutras to Suit Our Times, Lines for Spiritual Evolution, The Mystery of the Trapped Light, Mystical Thoughts in the Dark Age of Scientism, Empire of Scientism, The Dispiriting Conspiracy and Inevitable Tyranny of Scientocracy, and Tech Bondage, Slavery of the Human Spirit. He's also written two dystopian novels, Blue Lies, September, and Ireland, I don't recognize who she is. James lives in Gothenburg, Sweden, and now I'll switch over to the internet video. Welcome again, James. What a pleasure to be with you. Uh, fantastic to see you as always, Jeffrey. I'm looking forward to our conversation as always. Thank you. We're talking about an individual who was very influential in his own day in the early 20th century, late 19th century, but has been, aside from people in Ireland where he came from, largely forgotten. That, that's correct. Uh, and in fact, I was, I was thinking about how he would be described or how I think about him. And to a certain extent, he's the forgotten mystic because he was essentially a mystic. He saw himself as a mystic. And when I became interested again in mystics, I began to look back at a figure that I have to confess, when I read about him early on, I wasn't that interested in him because there are more dramatic figures in some ways in Irish history. And in some ways, probably because of my family history, were drawn to figures that were more romantic in some sense. And he was always in the background. It's like in the story about the emperor when he's building a new palace and he gets the, the architects to submit their plans and he, uh, he gets them to identify a number two uh, architect to help them. And then he picks the one who got most number twos. Well, A.E. Russell would have been one of those figures. He was regarded as a great man by most people that met him. Uh, but in some ways, whether he achieved greatness is, is a matter for history to decide. So as well as the forgotten mystic, I, I see him more and more in terms of a homely mystic. So the word home is very important. In Ulster Scots, in the, in the dialect of, uh, of English that he, he, uh, he, uh, he would have been familiar with, there's a word hamely, which is a nice word to describe that homely uh, uh, idea. And it, it refers to a, an unassuming person who's easygoing and down to earth. And that was very, very important to him because he was very down to earth and the earth and the land was very, very important to him as well as the ground of being, if you like. And it's interesting that the word home has the word om in it and India was another connection. And he wrote, you see this a certain themes that he wrote for the, he was editor of the Irish Homestead for, for about 18 years. And the idea of home, a spiritual home and a physical home is very, very important. So it's a bit like Maslow's pyramid. He was not only conscious of the top of the pyramid, which he certainly had reached, but he was conscious of the need to begin from the ground upwards. So he, he's a forgotten mystic, um, but in his lifetime, he was regarded as a statesman. Uh, he was involved in statecraft and institutions. He was a driving force in the Irish cooperative movement. So he was an activist. Um, he was an editor. He was a novelist. He was a poet. 
Uh, he was a painter. He was a critic. So he, he was he was a myriad-minded man was one description of him, the same description of, of uh, was used about Tagore uh, in India. So he was he was a, a lateral thinker in, in many m- many senses, and he tried to establish connections between things that were seen to be disparate. So he he was very important in a kind of Merlinesque way. I, I, I see a kind of Merlinesque archetype where. He's always looking for the King Arthur. He's always looking for, he believed that there was going to be a great avatar coming uh, in Ireland. And it's interesting the parallels between, or the phonetic parallels of avatar and Arthur. I think it may not be accidental, but he, and, and that's why he was always looking for new talent. So he was the one that published first James Joyce. James Joyce was a very good tenor singer. And if it hadn't been for the fact, perhaps, that he was published by A.E. Russell, and the fact that there was another very world-class tenor singer in Dublin at the time, John McCormack, perhaps he would have gone in a different direction. He also was the one that gave uh, Pamela Travers uh, a start. And a, a lot of Frank O'Connor, who, who went to uh, and taught in California, he said that he was father to three generations of poets, including a lot of of, of women poets. And he published Ella Young, which is another fi- figure we might get to talk a- about. So... Uh, uh, he he also uh, he also often described himself as coming from the stars and he was going home to the stars and sometimes and I think it's on his tombstone or the the uh, from the poem he wrote about he talks about homesickness and the homesickness is a homesickness for somewhere else it's it, it's a it's a, it's it's a cosmic kind of home that he's talking about so he 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 is forgotten there are some. There are some people that remember him. I, I'm glad to see that uh, in Lurgan, in Northern Ireland, where, where he's from, there are fine people there, uh, uh, fine gentlemen and ladies that are, are promoting, uh, and a couple in particular, promoting his memory as, as, a, as a figure that can reconcile disparate traditions, that can transcend divisions in still a community that has still tensions. And also, I remember... About 20 years ago, I was on a train from after a, a conference I was invited to by the Irish Consul General in Edinburgh. And he, he, he is now the uh, Irish ambassador to the United States, a very nice man, a very personable man. He invited me to a lot of interesting things during his office over there. And he was talking about A.E. Russell because he's quite an expert in A.E. Russell. And I remember at the time that I wasn't that interested in, in, in the figure. And uh, it takes a while and it, it, you, we need... As in some figures, we need some footholds to come at them and to appreciate them. But I would argue, to finish up, I would argue that he's forgotten, but he should be remembered because he explains a very important connection, for example, between India and California uh, and a link between Ireland and India, Ireland, London, India and California. That's, that's ignored in some of the ideas about California kind of sprouting the counterculture out of nowhere. Well, one of the things that really strikes me about him is that his career track in many ways is parallel to yours. He's a painter. So are you. He's a poet. So are you. He writes on mysticism. So did you. He's very involved in political and social issues. So are you. So uh, there aren't very many people who combine all of those characteristics. There's a, there's a major difference in this, and the major difference is that he was very successful, Jeff. <laughs> in one, one exhibition, he sold. He had an exhibition with a very important Irish figure who was the first woman elected to the British Parliament. Not, uh, she didn't take her seat. That's why they ignore her, and because she was a rebel and she was sentenced to death and it was commuted. But uh, so he, he exhibited with, 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 with her, and he, he sold 36 or 37 paintings, which is remarkable. Uh, and his poetry books sold in their thousands. His book on mysticism, The Candle of Vision, sold uh, very well as well. It's, it's an important book on mysticism that would have influenced people like Aldous Huxley. He would have referred to that as one of the mystical texts. And also other people like Gerald Herd. And, and, and an interesting example, Gerald Herd, people associate him with, with Vedanta in California. But he learned about Vedanta in Dublin because he worked in the organization that 
A.E. Russell ran. So the the idea that they went to California and got this Indian mysticism over there is is historically slightly inaccurate. So so uh, yeah, to, to to answer the question. There, there is, I, I can see parallels, but I wouldn't overstate them. Uh, and I, I don't get accused of being great too often, Jeffrey. So, but, but he was very successful in the different do- domains. And he was certainly, when he, as a Merlin-esque figure with his round table, when he had all the artists coming to his to his house regularly, uh, I don't know that I'd be able able to, to do that. I prefer to, to do my, my own things. But what I would say is, when I was looking back and say, well, where did this mysticism come from? The first, the origin, I believe, is in his drawing and painting. And I was looking back to try and identify where where it started for him as a boy. And there's one little reference that said he began to draw when he went to St. or somewhere around St. Bridget's Well in, in Northern Ireland. And I found that quite interesting because this connection with Bridget, the connection with inspiration with sources is a connection we've talked about bridget and bride before it comes up again and again and he started off in in a painting and he went to he was from northern ireland and they, the family came and he's about 10 to uh, to dublin so he goes to art school and evening classes in the dublin metropolitan art school and he went quite young so he's only a teenager, a young teenager going to this art uh, or to study art. And there was different type of private institutions as well that he may have had classes at. And when he goes to the Dublin Metropolitan Art uh, School, he meets Yates there, of all people to, to, to meet. So him and Yates were two very important people, as we know. And at that stage, he was exploring poetry. So it was a natural progression. And Yates was interested in art. Don't, don't forget, his, his brother was a great Irish artist and his father was an artist. So it was a natural, a natural progression. And Yates was very interested at that stage in magic. So he begins to get involved in, uh, in, in magic. So the progression into magic, and then we can talk about theosophy and, and, and other streams, comes out so there's a logical progression but i would argue that color and art and painting and drawing is a profound way of opening the doors of perception and if one does it regularly if one begins to look at images at paintings and this is the basis of a lot of magic and sigil magic but one begins to open up doors of perception and there are simpler ways instead of it's easy to take psychedelics in some sense uh, it's not easy to go through a discipline process of concentrating on composition and image and looking at art. And But art and colour can open the doors of perception as easily or as profoundly as, as, as other keys. One of the things that impressed me about his art is that he seemed to anticipate a lot of uh, contemporary New Age art in terms of his willingness to depict what seemed to me to be obvious spiritual entities in his paintings. Yes, and, and this, is, this is interesting. Uh, when you look at both mystics, when they write, when they write poetry or when they write art, it can sometimes create a certain type of opaque, translucent feeling where it's hard to get a grip on it because sometimes the sense is more important than the motif, uh, for example. Um, so his painting paints what he saw and what he could see all around him from the time he was 16 around 16 and this was about 1883 he had a profound experience of uh, now in some sense it sounds like a descent of a being into him and and then when you talk in those terms again people get worried that you're talking about a possession or something like that I, i don't see it in those terms the mystic often refers to a sense of an intervention from from a higher force now that intervention if you want it to be very physiological you could say it was one part of the brain beginning to the visitor experience from the right and the left and, and that connection between being explored but that's that's too simple and we shouldn't be looking for reductionist explanations but he did have a sense of a spirit uh, entering him and now christians say well that's possession that's who but it, but the the holy spirit the great spirit is, is a, a familiar concept in, in in a number of different uh philosophies and that happened to him and and when that happened to him 
And again, I think it's associated with his ability to begin to see other forces. He began to see a whole lot of beings around, a whole lot of, of shining beings around him. And he had all these visions. He could, he could see through time. He could see scenes that weren't there. He's many uh, descriptions of seeing beings around him. Um, and so when he's going, to, and this is another part of the mystic journey which people people mistake. They think that people start off saying theosophy and they find and they follow that. But often people go and look for answers in these places after having some experience before that. And in that sense, he's different from from Yeats, who's not a mystic in the same way. And this this is it's a great case study for the difference between a mystic and a magician. So they were very close in many senses. But, but later, although it's certain that he explored magic, he begins about 1888 to reject it. And, uh, and there's an interesting, a very interesting letter uh, that he writes to Blavatsky, we can talk about, um, about that. But yes, his, his, there, there's a kind of simplicity about his paintings. If you're in the right mood, they can really strike you. There's something vibrant that comes between them. But he had no problem. He was one of the the people that openly talked. He wasn't. Uh, he, he didn't do it in a way to get the garner attention. He did it in a way because people were curious about it. He could see things around him. He could anticipate things. He could interpret things. And he could also. He had other other powers of remote viewing of telepathy, uh, etc. So people were aware that he had these powers, but as with the Indian mystics say, you shouldn't be focusing on the cities. He didn't do so, but he certainly believed that he could help people by bringing them other or access to different dimensions to show them there was another world there. And that's also consistent with his later interest which came later in Irish mythology, which was very, very important. And But the fairies and all those figures were around him, which is why Evans Wentz came to him. It's him that he comes to for this, one of his chapters in his PhD in his book on, on the fairy folk. Uh, one, one point I just want to mention on this before I finish is that I would also refer to Scotland in this context, because actually, for me, the great work on fairies is the, the Secret Commonwealth uh, by the Reverend Kirk in 1691, which which got, and he got it in, in, in the language of the people, the whole story about, about the peasants. A.E. Russell, uh, the peasants and fairies, A.E. Russell could see that, uh, but, it, but it's there in the Celtic culture in both Scotland and Ireland. Uh, it's worth mentioning parenthetically, I suppose, that the secret... Commonwealth has been an inspiration for a recent novel by very popular uh, British novelist Pullman. I want to restore the original Secret Commonwealth because I think that uh, the, the Reverend Kirk has a lot to say. There's a, there's a, a very important story there still. And I, I, I would argue, we can argue this again, that he's probably the first parapsychologist. Uh, I, I think he is the candidate for the founder of the study of parapsychology, but we, we'll argue that some other day. That would be a very interesting discussion. Uh, he was also a central figure, I gather, in establishing uh, a very strong presence for the Theosophical Society in Ireland. What, what happened in relation to theosophy, it's important to distinguish a few different elements because they they can coalesce at, at different times. Um, theosophy, of course, began in, in the United States in, in its modern form in 1875. And actually, interestingly, one of the founders was William Quan Judge, who came from Dublin, which is interesting. And it comes back to, uh, to London and... There was a few books which were very significant at that, at that stage. There was the book by A.P. Sinnott, The Occult World and Esoteric Buddhism. And Yeats got his hands on some of these books. And another, he gave them another person who was in, important in this, in the triangle, was Charles Johnson. And Charles Johnson went to London and he came back and he established uh, a... Hermetic Society and the Theosophical Society. So there's various incarnations of these bodies. It's important to remember that in London, there were two strands that kind of popped up in the uh, public uh, esoteric sphere at that stage. Uh, there was the 
hermetic stream and there was also the theosophical stream. And there were different emphasis in those in those groups. For example, there was a kind of Oriental Hermeticism, and then there was another interesting figure in London is Anna Kingsford, and she's a kind of neglected figure because she was interested in theosophy, but from a Christian Kabbalistic uh, fashion that would probably link back into the, the Florentine magicians and Mirandola and, and, and others. So uh, it comes to Dublin... And A.E. Russell is heavily involved in the circle of people that are interested in theosophy. Uh, and he, he attends lectures. So a very important figure in, in this context was Mohini Chatterjee, who comes from India to London and gives a lecture, I think, 1885 in Dublin, that was very significant for both Yates, or he, he gave a series of lectures over a week, I think, that was very significant for uh, Yeats and Russell. And he wasn't talking about theosophy as such. He was talking about the great Indian scriptures, Vedanta and Upanishads, and that had a lasting effect on, uh, the, on these people in Dublin. Now, Charles Johnson, the figure I mentioned, was also another figure who was born in 1867 uh, in uh, Northern Ireland. And he went off to India and he would be an early translator of Patanjali's, Patanjali's Yoga Sutras and the Bhagavad Gita. So it's important to emphasize there was a strong connection between Ireland and India as two colonial uh, places un under the colonial power. And they had an affinity and they had an affinity as well, a deeper affinity, because Irish mythology has some parallels and some believe to be closer to some of the uh, some of the Indian uh, context. And in, uh, in fact, the Irish language, which is has the oldest vernacular literature in Western Europe, uh, has or is closer in, in form to uh, the Sanskrit than some of the, many other languages in, in Europe. So there's natural affinities. So he's around. Uh, he's, he's around these uh, people. He deepens his knowledge of Indian philosophy and theosophy. And he's there through all the the shenanigans, all the splits. There's a famous statement by Brendan Bean, uh, the Irish revolutionary, who said that the first thing on the agenda of any Irish revolutionary movement is the split. And the same thing happens in relation to esoteric and mystical bodies as well. So he gets interested in, in theosophy and magic. And it seems to me that he was experimenting with magic uh, over the next, over that period from 1885 to 1888, where he begins to take a different, uh, a different emphasis. He wasn't officially a member. He's a bit like you, Jeff. He doesn't join things. He, so, so we joined in probably about 1889. Uh, and he also uh, later... Uh, ran a hermetic society for many years in Dublin. So, so it's better to see it in terms of a group of people that had very, very cl close connections with sources in London that were exploring uh, uh, a range of forces. Uh, and one, the most important letter that helps us answer some of these questions about the, the mystic and the magician, the difference between them, was a letter that he wrote to Madame Blavatsky's magazine called Lucifer in 1888 and I've been reflecting on, on this now Lucifer was around for a couple of years now that's obviously very controversial uh, it's seen to be very anti-Christian and to a certain extent there is a strong anti-Christian or, uh, um, or, or rejection of Christianity in some levels that can be seen in certain strands of theosophy or at least a sense that Christianity had failed in many senses, as in Northern Ireland, uh, he could see that we had Christians on both sides who wanted to, to kill each other. So he, he wasn't very impressed by Christianity in practice. So uh, he wrote this letter in November, uh, on the state of November the 6th, 1888, to Madame Blavatsky, where he's asking whether the theosophists believe in God, like he believes in God. And he's he, he, he's, he's obviously gone to some kind of internal struggle. And he says that 
he identifies in a third person, but it sounds like it's a first person. He talks about the the person who becomes interested in mystical stuff and magic and explores magic. And he begins to suggest that the movement into spiritualism may become a wrong kind of movement and that a person can be drawn into lower levels uh, that are destructive for the person. So he's painting a dangerous picture of mysticism that leads to magic. And he's asking her in, in, in the letter that was published in, in, in Lucifer um, whether or where the Theosophical Society uh, fits into this. And I was wondering about why this, why this was important. And I would point out that in 1888, the, uh, uh, this part of the English-speaking world, or that part of the English-speaking world was gripped with the Whitechapel murders with Jack the Ripper. And right from the start of the Ripper murders, the, there, were, there was arguments that there was some black magic going on. And even, it's, it's crazy, you, there were, we'll talk about this some other time, but some theosophists were suspects there over a period of time in relation to this. And you also have the strange death of Edmund Gurney in 1888. There was some interesting phenomena happening in relation to occult matters in London in 1888. Also, there was a shift in Swedish occultism to London in 1888. Something uh, was happening. And I wonder whether, in this context, he began to become a bit afraid of the dangers of misuse of magic. And that led him to pull away from pursuing a magic path in the way that perhaps Yeats was exploring and come back to a more mystical path because he believes that mysticism is about union with the absolute and he has a view which you would recognize and you share about the importance of of beings uh, of all beings and and the earth and one of his associates in Dublin another Northern Ireland uh, esotericist was James Cousins who goes to India and becomes uh, friends with Aurobindo and Tagore and Gandhi. And Gandhi wanted to meet Russell uh, at the end, but it was too late. But over in India, he wrote a book uh, called Samadarsana, about same-sightedness and this idea of, 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 of looking for the divine and everything. And the final point is, people must remember as well that theosophy refers to divine wisdom. So Swedenborg was a theosophist and Blake was a theosophist. And in many senses, A.E. Russell is in that mystical, general theosophical uh, stream. Well, it's interesting that he was close to Yeats. And even though they may have differed on their emphasis on magic, it seems as if they shared a great passion for Irish folklore and the importance of reviving the indigenous traditions of Ireland. This was a living tradition in Ireland, and it was housed, the home was in the Irish language and culture. So for the, the people, the poor people that lived on the land, in many senses, they had a very rich idea of the world. And some German scholars that came to Ireland at the, at the time, they said that Ireland was 300 years before behind the rest of Europe. But that wasn't a bad thing. That meant that they were closer to some more indigenous sense of spirituality, of an integrated uh, cosm cosmos around them. And there was a, a book or a few books written by an Irish a man called Standish O'Grady. And... He was, again, from, uh, he was unionist in, in his political disposition, meaning he wanted to maintain the union. He didn't want Ireland to be separate. Uh, in fact, I think he wanted the Irish to take over the empire. <laughs> but um, he wrote about Irish mythology. And these myths then were discovered, to ma in many senses, by the aristocracy, by the Protestant uh, community. And people that had studied the Indian mythology realized that there was a great depth of stories, of culture, of myth uh, within these. And they believed that there was something valuable. So what Yeats and Russell did was to try and integrate 
the Irish mythology into a broader worldview. And if we go back to the period of about uh, 1897 to 1902, uh, there was the formation of the National Theatre, and Russell was involved in that. Not only was he involved as the vice president of the National Theatre with Yeats and Lady Gregory, but he wrote a play and he performed. And uh, in fact, there were stories about when he's playing a druid that people had experiences of him spreading darkness uh, consistent with the, with, with the plot in the play. So uh, he, was a very, he was a very accomplished uh, person. So they believed that this was necessary for the, the national soul. And he wrote a book later in 1916-17 about the national being, which was important, about how a nation needs to have a soul. And uh, this was important for Gandhi and, and in the Indian context. And uh, he, he elaborated on, on that. And Yeats's interest was about conjuring, to, to some extent, creating a new Irish society. Um, and he was also interested in creating, the two of them, a Celtic mystery school of magic, in a way, or broader than magic, which would integrate these various insights. And they experimented with symbols. So Yeats's magic was a bit influenced by the mysticism of of uh, Russell, and they began to look back at symbols. And for example, there's a, there's a this is a a Saint Bridget's cross. It's an it's a a pagan. There's twenty three different types of Bridget's cross, but it was a pagan symbol in Ireland that was adopted in relation to a Catholic saint. They began to look at such symbols, and these are ancient symbols. For example, if you look at the Bridget's cross structure. You can see it in tessellated form in uh, in Moorish architecture and Moorish symbolism, the repetition, iteration of a basic form. Uh, you can see it. You, you can see it in in an in Indian context. So they were going back to these archetypes. Now their work in that period, in a few years, was very important to Yeats' idea of what magic was. And what he said was in his essay in 1901 that there is a great memory, if you like, to the Akasha, whatever, and uh, as we know it, and that you access that through symbols. So they worked very much on that. And they didn't just do it in a dreamy sense. They did experiments. If A.E. Russell met someone that said they were psychic, he would test them. He would ask them to demonstrate, and he would do little tests to, to, to prove it. So he, he, was, he wasn't any dreamer in that sense, because these, these things were real to him. So uh, Yeats believed that these symbols opened up the greater memory, so that you could begin to access past, future in some sense, the great archetypes. And a number of people have noted the parallels between Jung and Yeats, and I think Russell as well. So the work they were doing on magic kind of anticipates work that Jung does in relation to symbols. A.E. Russell, his name refers back to uh, an emanation of the of, of the, the the divine being and Gnostic uh, ideas, and that was another area that Jung uh, studied as well. And A. E. Russell was very uh, very uh, taken with the the need to go go inwards and and to go inside and to explore these things, to explore the darkness. And other of his proteges as well were interested in that. So uh, they they wanted to form a kind of syncretist. Uh, perennial uh, workable philosophy that worked for Ireland but that was consistent with international if you like or cosmopolitan uh, forces and streams so they were they were very taken with with, with, with elements in Buddhism and, and elements uh, and particularly Indian philosophy uh, and, and they uh, they sought to integrate them uh, in, in many senses and the of course the Irish the Irish mythology, a. Russell saw there was a lot of heroism in it. He saw there was a lot of honor in it. There was a lot, there was a love of nature, a deep love of nature. And he believed that Ireland, Ireland should use this and that it was superior to the Christian culture that came after it, uh, or it could be married in some sense. And uh, he, he believed that if there was going to be a future uh, fused 
confused cultural situation in Ireland that they had to have this link and they had to have the link with sacredness and with the places in Ireland and with the environment and with the land and with the the streams and rivers and to appreciate the natural form. So he was very ahead of his time in relation to understanding uh, the importance of the earth and he believed that that love of nature was very, very strong in the Irish culture, which I agree with him uh, on. So they sought to draw different elements and to integrate them. Well, in addition to all of his accomplishments in the area of art and poetry and drama, theater, publishing and so on, he was a Renaissance man in the sense that he was also a social activist at a time when Ireland was going through enormous trials and tribulations. Well, it was it's a remarkable period in history. Um, I was looking I, w- I was looking at a thing recently. At that time, when in some of the things in, in 1920, 100 years ago, two of my father's uncles were digging a tunnel out of a prison you know, and they escaped. It was, it was before the Great Escape where, where 50, 54 of them got out. I remember talking to my father's uncle about it. And one of the one of the my father's uncle had been in prison about ten times, whatever. That's a different story, but it was a very it was a very polarized uh, context. Um, and the, uh, the, the people forget they they see things in terms of religion in relation to nationalism in the Irish context. Now, again, nationalism has got a very bad and deliberately uh, a deliberate ideological bad slant there there's tensions to make it uh, seem bad to, to to make patriotism seem bad but you have to remember that nationalism was often the force which was used as the strong anti-colonial force so if you look at a lot of the left writings the writing of the left a generation ago they were very pro this independent struggle self-determination they seem to have uh, changed their view in that sense in favor of a more cosmopolitan uh, globalist perspective, perhaps. So uh, he 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 didn't want to get involved in politics, but you couldn't you could not get involved in politics. It's like the statement that you may not be interested in war, but war is interested in you. And a few things moved him, and he believed that you had to get involved in in issues, and the issues were very striking. So there was no subtlety, and he didn't have to be very highly uh, sensitive to understand there was huge problems and uh, he so he was moved and this is another fundamental principle that people think that mystics are about sitting in caves and that phase is there but if you look at Evelyn Underhill who was also another magician in in that London circle who who went from magic to mysticism she defines a mystical stage whereby the mystic comes back and then comes back to the community. And this is similar to the hero's journey where they bring back something and they offer it to the community. So there's a similar thing that he knows that uh, there's things that are very wrong. For example, in the workers' strike uh, or the lockout in 1913 in Dublin when the employers locked out, whatever it was, 20,000 workers, and there was great great poverty in, in Dublin, there was the worst slums in Europe. There was huge thousands of families uh, living in, in very confined quarters. There was large amounts of people living in one-roomed uh, old buildings in Dublin. And it was a, a very difficult time. He was involved and, and pro-worker in a way that the, the left used to be. <laughs> but uh, he, he was very pro-worker. Uh, and uh, as a result of that, he was involved in... in in the Royal Albert Hall, for example, there was a famous uh, there was a famous conference where he spoke at with figures like Ben Tillett and George Bernard Shaw, uh, and he was also close to James Connolly, who was the workers' leader, who was one of the main forces behind the 1916 rebellion, who was uh, executed because uh, he was injured. He was executed in, in, a, in a chair, uh, and he he was a very influential socialist thinker that was involved in the Wobblies in the United States. He's an international figure and he, he was close to A.E. Russell. A.E. Russell didn't believe in violence. He was a pacifist, a pacifist again and again, but he was very close to these figures. So uh, there were seven leaders of the procl- proclamation, uh, who signed a proclamation, leaders of the, the rebellion in 1916. Three of them were poets, as Dan Mulhall me- mentions. He knew 
Dublin was a small place, so you knew these figures. Um, and he admired them, but couldn't support the, the, the use of violence. His argument, he was against, he, he was simply a pacifist. Um, he, his activism, he, he also in 1917 was involved in the Irish Convention, which tried to find a brokered consensus solution. So he was, he had links with, uh, or he, he would have contact with the British government at a high level and prime ministers. Uh, and he tried to ultimately have failed. He tried to find a solution. He didn't believe that the empire was sufficiently recognized nationalist interests uh, at that stage. But he, he was involved and in he didn't seem to enjoy it, but he was very effective. He was seen to be very objective, very fair and very reasoned, very logical. But his main passion, his main activism manifested itself in the cooperative movement, which uh, he, he he began to... Uh, he, he got the job because Yates recommended him to a man called Horace Plunkett, who wanted to improve the lot of the of of the poor farmers. There had been a great land struggle in Ireland. There was great poverty. You're talking about hundreds of years of a colonial experiment, if you like. So the conditions were terrible in uh, in in Ireland. So the cooperative movement was very very important. It was su supported by. Uh, it wasn't rejected by the church. There's many in the church. That, that saw cooperatives as consistent with Catholic social teaching. And the biggest cooperative in the world, the Mondragon uh, Cooperative in the Basque Country, was established with the support of, of, of a, a local priest, as far as I remember. So he, he went out initially and he worked with, the, with priests. He didn't have a good view of priests. He didn't have a, a good view of, of institutional structures, although he got a better view when he worked with them. He saw what they did. Um, he believed that there was a bit of a conflict between being a hero yourself or relying on another person, relying on a priest to do your spiritual evolution. But the Irish cooperative movement, the cooperative movement was very successful in many ways because it helped people to come together. It helped poor people to come together. It was non-sectarian. His, his focus was on building credit. And now another Irish businessman a generation ago who was successful at that stage said that he believed that the greatest problem in the future would be uh, access to credit. And uh, he, this, this has been a thing that's important in international development. They, they looked at models, in the Irish context, they looked at models in Denmark and Sweden, and they tried to implement them, and they were very successful. And some of the survive, survivals of that cooperative movement uh, have turned into great corporations that are worth billions uh, of pounds. Now, I don't know if that was the objective of the movement, but he believed that there should be, that, that Ireland should be a cooperative commonwealth. And in many senses, this was a middle path between communism uh, and between capitalism. Uh, and it was, it, it, there's a lot, there's a very interesting uh, movement there. And also, I just one point as well Yates is significant again. Yates had contact with people like, uh, uh, cropped up in, in in London and the anarchists. Now the anarchists, the, they, they've usually been described in media as people that just want to destroy everything. Uh, but the anarchists, of course, wanted to uh, to empower people as against big authorities over them. And there was a lot of interesting discussions going on in London, in particular, that Yates was privy to, and that's probably why Yates saw the potential for the cooperative movement and his contribution to the cooperative movement. Uh, then uh, was helped by his editorship of the Irish Homestead and later the Irish Statesman. So he used these platforms to discuss economic issues. And at the time of his death, he was actually described as an economist uh, uh, by, by some people. He was very, very well educated on public policy and would be able to discuss issues about the price of butter and how things were produced and meat, etc. as well. So he went into practical things that given other circumstances he wouldn't have wanted to do but he passionately believed that that was that was important and he also the last point he also didn't like later on where the irish state was going that it was controlled by the catholic church and he believed that was wrong and in many senses he's right he was right on that that the the, the connection between church and state was a big mistake uh, for that cause and um he was very enlightened in that sense. So we have a return in some senses. A lot of these the theosophists were very interested in vegetarianism. Uh, Anna Kingsford was 
was uh, an anti-vivisectionist. She had gone to train. This is in London. She had gone to train to, for example, to Paris and uh, was disgusted to see the scientific method, which uh, which did live experiments on animals without anaesthetic, and that that was very important in her view. So there, there were streams of animal rights, of vegetarianism that 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 comes uh, up up again and again, and uh, so he believed that the mystic must be active, and and in that sense, he's a, he's a forerunner of, of Gandhi in, in, in many, many senses. Well, it seems that that's one of the most important lessons we can learn from studying his life is that you can have a balanced life. You can have deep mystical experiences and also be active in the world. Yes. And what I would emphasize when, when, I, when I was thinking about the homely mystic, even when he was in living in a, in a kind of commune in, in, in Dublin, for several years in the 1890s, uh, and that that was actually linked to a, a a Scottish theosophist who went and who ends up in Point Loma in California. But in that stage, that was called a household. And of course, when we're talking about householder or household in a Oriental tradition, it refers to the recognised uh, context in which holy people can be householders. They can live an ordinary life, but still be mystical, still evolve. And in fact, it really behoves us to not see the mystic as someone that lives in a cave. It, it really have to integrate spiritual evolution into our daily life and into our to our ordinary life. And so he, he is that. And also, there's a there, there's this big question about how does the mystic influence society? And in this sense, this is where the mystic can have more magic. It's because they plant seeds, they they act. There's a there's a word maiutic uh, which is used about A. E. Russell to go back to, to refer to this Socratic way. They used to ask questions of things and in that gentle way be like a midwife to ideas, which is I think where the word came from. So he was midwife in many senses. I, I describe as Merlin-esque in some senses with his round table. He was the one, as we said, who gave Pamela Traver Travers a start he went on he had a very close relationship with her um and he he would have inspired mary poppins uh, in in many senses and uh, if we look at other figures a, a neglected figure is ella young who would have been one of his protégés and ella young uh, was also born in 1867 something happened i think a star maybe fell in in, in ulster in 1867 um and she went she was involved. She didn't agree with his non-violent views, but uh, she, and, and she was involved in the Republican movement. And she went to California, uh, and and she taught as a professor in Berkeley in the twenties. So this is very interesting. Uh, not only did she teach there, but she became active in this is before the counterculture. Before it was the county culture, and she was linked with people like uh, Elsa Gidlow, famous uh, lesbian uh, activist as as well. And uh, it was after her that the place, which has now fallen into decay, I believe people want to save it over there in Marin County, north of San Francisco, uh, Druid Heights was inspired by. So that was a commune, the place Alan Watts went there, Snyder, the poets, uh, some of the beat people, a lot of people, musicians went to Druid Heights and it's still there hidden in Marin County. I think it's also, if I'm not mistaken, where the apes go on Planet of the Apes, but that's a different story. So that, there was an influence that manifested itself elsewhere on the West Coast of America. Remember, Yeats went also to lecture at Stanford. And it was when he went to lecture at Stanford that Evan Wentz heard him. And he subsequently went to study in Oxford, comes to Ireland, learns off A.E. Russell, and then goes to India. And after writing the fairy faith in Celtic countries. He writes the Tibetan Book of the, Be of the Dead and comes to A.E. Russell when he's dying in England uh, to ask him questions, esoteric questions, to, 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 to learn from his knowledge, as well as Pamela Travers came to nurse him when he was dying in, in London. The last couple of years he went off to England. He, he, he was sick after the Irish Eucharistic Congress that, that some the big mass demo, Catholic demonstrations. He didn't think it was the way forward. 
um, and his wife had died and a number of things had happened. One of his friends had died, Kingsley Porter, uh, just before he went, although there's another theory that he, he, he disappeared deliberately. He was a, a professor at Harvard who was being persecuted for his homosexuality. That's another story. But uh, apart from uh, Berkeley and Stanford, like people like Ella Young, they influenced the mystic community in, in California. Uh, she was associated with Mount Shasta. Apparently, she was associated with forming a Celtic or trying to form a Celtic mystery tradition over there. She was linked to figures like Ansel uh, Adams. Uh, and there, there, there was a, an earlier version of the counterculture. It was prefigured by these figures. She, there's also a place in California uh, up beside um, Oceano uh, where the Dunites lived, another commune of artists, and she was associated uh, with that. Uh, there is also the Halcyon, and Halcyon is another another place, another commune associated with the Theosophists. And it's interesting that there uh, you had uh, the Varian brothers, and their father had been in Dublin with A.E. Russell, and the two sons became important scientists that developed the, the Klystron, which was a, a device to amplify microwaves and that was important in radar in the second world war and they the varian brothers were one of the first people in silicon valley and uh, you might say think that's a tenuous connection but russell varian was apparently named after a.e russell and their interest in rays is not inconsistent with the theosophical interest in rays there is a close connection between science and theosophy so if you look at if you look at a, a whole range of different elements or context in, in, in California, you see that there was a direct link back to A.E. Russell. And also in India, if we go the opposite direction, people like James Cousins, who was very close to A.E. Russell, would, would go on and, and, and influence uh, them. And uh, Dan Mulhall, the Irish ambassador, said that he realized how significant the Irish literary tradition was when he was posted to New Delhi and he met a, a grand lady from the Nehru family. And when he met her, she began to quote from William Butler Yeats. And he began to realize how significant some of these figures are in this context. So there's an old saying in Irish, which I don't remember it in Irish, but it's something like that the biggest lobsters are found away from the lobster beds. And there's a sense of, when you're talking about mystics, that they do the job, they give the gift, and some people will take it. And the manifestations of that gift will come somewhere else or in some other context. So, uh, yes, the householder is a, a, a genuine context in which the mystic operates. The mystic operates in accordance with universal principles about the desire to expand your nature, to evolve up the pyramid, if you like, in the Mas Maslow's terms to form connections, to recognize other people, to be a creative force in society, to interact with uh, other forces in a positive sense, to have respect for other cultures, to have a sense of mythos. And also, and there's one final point on that, is that all of these people came out of a context where they were, they understood where with Darwinianism, with Huxley and his, his ex-club in Britain, that there was a very strong anti-spiritual force being unleashed that intended to wipe out the spirit with, with a very doctrinaire, ideological doctrine. It was the, They were sensing what I call the empire of scientism. So all these figures were rejecting that materialist uh, approach. And it, it is very, very interesting as well that in, in the he comes from the Protestant culture, which, which gave us, uh, from the Irish context, it gave... C.S. Lewis, uh, Bram Stoker, Oscar Wilde, uh, 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 Charles Maturin, going back earlier, the, who, who wrote horror novels, esoteric novels, novels about the spirit, uh, the other worlds. So the, the, there's a very rich tradition that should be explored. And it also gave us some other, uh, other forces which could be interpreted in a more negative way. For example, dispensationalism and that kind of mystic idea that has informed evangelical or certain ideas in evangelical Christianism comes from John Nelson Darby in Ireland in, in, in the in the eighteen thirties. And also 
Alistair Crowley, he was a reaction against the Plymouth Brethren, which was which comes from the uh, from Dublin as well originally. So we have there's an interesting apocalyptic force that emerged as well that has to be looked at or should be examined uh, and examined again, also to understand the United States. You can't just look at uh, the United States and not understand where its antecedents came from. Actually, James Joyce, who wittily referred to, to, to uh, AE in, 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 in the acronym AEIOU, uh, to refer back that he probably got money from him as well, but he was he was indebted to him for helping him. Uh, he thought that Theosophy was a Protestant sect, for example. So, but there are interesting ideas, and uh, to a certain extent, in in the Republic of Ireland, there's been a lot of focus on on Irish Catholic culture and and a failure to go at some of the deeper elements of very very creative elements in the Protestant culture and a, and a failure to see the the universalist trend or the background often from rejecting the, 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 their heritage or incorporating it in a new form another figure Margaret Noble I don't know if I mentioned her who was very close to Vivek Ananda so so again coming from that tradition so it's very very important as well as the Scottish tradition. Um, Patrick Geddes, for example, who was a big influence on Mumford, and he was he had connections as well with with all these figures. So, what I would like to suggest is that yes, you, you, you can you can be in a household and be a mystic, uh, but the there's always going to be a challenge to engage in a positive way, in an informed way, with social issues as well. I understand that. Probably his most popular poem is called Reconciliation, and, and that uh, it embodies his philosophy of bringing the opposites together. It was very, very important. You, you, you said about similarities between me and him, and they're very superficial. I actually see, I, I saw similarities with your philosophy, Jeff, in a number of, a number of contexts, um, in this idea of looking at life uh, and, and and being able to accept difference uh, and yes reconciliation of opposites as which manifests for you in in your interest in the yin yang sign and in the symbol of that and he believed uh, very much in the young before Jung about that idea the need to look at your darkness and uh, and I think his explorations in magic were uh, to some extent engaging in that uh, and he also was constantly critical, as I said, against the use of violence in a context where uh, it may have seemed more legitimate in other contexts, perhaps, in, in, in the circumstances were so uh, bitter. And some people could say, well, he might have had a different emphasis or a less critical view of the use of violence in other contexts, maybe in, in the Soviet Union. I, I don't know. There's a, debate. There's a debate there. I don't think so. He was a pacifist. He was consistent on that. And uh, he believed that the reconciliation of uh, opposites would come from enlargement of a spiritual vision. And in that sense, I think the uh, they weren't anti-Christian, these people. There's a mistake in that, and it's a mistake to get for people to, to interpret them in, t in too narrow a way. What they were saying is, okay, let's integrate what we've got, what we've got now and integrate the different philosophies and look for consensus based on a deep sense of the value of each individual in in, in a wide sense and let's not uh, emphasize the materialistic look at don't deny them make sure that there's a bottom line of protection for people that they can live they can live in in, in cooperation with each other uh, in freedom not compelled uh, in a way that they can have a society that flourishes and but that won't work unless you have accept the mythic structure, the crystallized, encapsulated wisdom of the ages. Because he realized, as Jung realized, that if we don't come to terms with our own psyche, well, then the world is not going to work. So, yeah, reconciliation is very important. And that's why um, uh, respect to the people in Northern Ireland that have been working hard to preserve his memory as as a useful as a useful tool as a role model that people might look to uh in in the context of the continuing um the continuing context and Lurgan also by the way is home to Jocelyn 
Belle Burnell, who was the 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 woman that uh, that first identified pulsars, although she wasn't on the group, unfortunately, that got the Nobel Prize, and there's a controversy there. But interesting, another star connection to to to, to Lurgan. It must have been it must have been something in the air. But um, yeah, re- reckon there's a number of his poems um, that. Uh, that speak to people at different times it's like a lot of art if you're open in the right mood a painting or or, or a line can jump out of you they can they can transcend time uh, and there's there's a lot to be gained by 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 looking at the work of these uh, mystic understanding what it is that they're trying to do and accepting um that he did all these things when he was working and doing a lot of practical work, so he didn't have the time that Yeats had to craft out the to, to work and to make it very raw and, and, and tight and technical. Uh, he, he he did it from the heart, and he believed actually that if you did it, uh, if you worked it out in that way, that in fact there was something false about it. So it had to be intuitive, and a lot of his poetry is intuitive. He was also actually interested in Prometheus uh, at times. I'm not a great fan of the Promethean tradition, but if there's a good example of it, he's a good example of the Promethean uh, tradition. Uh, But he was very aware, as as Aurobindo was, um, and Aurobindo knew about uh, his writings and and was very familiar with the Irish context, but uh, Aurobindo noticed that Superman danger, the danger, the magician, and Russell was always uh, sh- sure to to balance that, to reconcile also in yourself the the different forces. So I think we can learn direct lessons f- uh, from their lives. Unfortunately, uh, he he the last couple of years he he didn't like Ireland. He went off to to uh, to, to England and he died over there. He'd also last point he he also visited America uh, a couple of times. He went on lecture tours. He was very popular. He had connections with uh, Henry Wallace who was the secretary of agriculture and he he was he informed policy in the United States he was consulted on, on issues he was respected and his argument uh, was the in favor of the need to have rural revitalization in the United States he believed that any society that left the land would fail and he, he, he traced that in history as well so once you lose that connection with the land this is this is relevant to what's happening in india at the moment uh, and also i i think he prefigures what i believe is going to happen i believe there's a lot of people wanting to explore this cooperative living again and we always have the danger of cults and commerce uh, obscuring it but in between there's a sense of building up from the ground local community cooperative things which i believe is on the rise again and i believe that it's going to be accelerated uh, on a negative note if we enter as we seem to be doing some phase of a, a kind of breakdown in western civilization which it seems to be part of the idea that you you destroy in or, order to build uh, a.e russell said that the romans were great builders but you have to remember that they were great destroyers as well they destroyed everything that was there before uh, before and he also believed that because they hadn't come to Ireland that there was something preserved there but uh, so the message in that context is that we should look about ways to live the, the, the greatness in him was in his own personal life in his own being and that's what he wanted so he would have died a happy man because he explored that whatever sadnesses he had he'd done his best he was reconciled to himself very 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 early on it was up to other people to make the choices but he would argue for working on yourself first to, to make you your, yourself at home with yourself uh, spiritually and then to work for communities to work in a way that en- enables a community to flourish uh, and to build from the ground up to respect the land uh, to respect the earth to respect uh, agriculture and to find different ways which are which recognize the material needs, but do it in a more enlightened way. And I think that's the great challenge we have. We have to think more imaginatively about simple things, how we live, how we live day to day, how we can do things better, which for me, they can't be dependent totally on the technosphere. The technosphere will take over all these functions if we don't have other resilient uh, ways for people to live 
that's more consistent with with a, a holistic uh, lifestyle that's consistent with the earth and, and, and the spirit of the earth. Well, James Tunney, you have demonstrated the many ways that probably most of us were unaware of in which our lives have been touched by the work of A.E. or A.E. Russell. And not only have we been touched by him, but his life serves as a a role model for a well-lived life. So it's it's been a real pleasure to have this conversation with you and, and to revive the memory of this great man. I, I think that's well said, and if there's a, a little thing we can do, sometimes if you open up a little a little channel uh, where people begin to go and look and uh, find inspiration, uh, then that legacy or that force begins to, to, to contribute in a positive way. And uh, like yourself, I think this is a time that we have to look at the dark side of materialist manifestations and now use use the things that we believe are, are important about the broader notion of the human uh, to move forward and to be imaginative. Imagination was another word that was critical for him. So he believed in that imaginal world. He manifest that thing that you talk about, the domain where the psychonauts travel through. So he would have he would have, he was very interested in, in parapsychology. Uh, he would have been uh, very interested in your work. Would have appreciated. He would have understood it. He would have been very close to it. And in, uh, again, another sense of what you share. Thank you, and thank you for giving, for giving, or for thinking about a figure that has been uh, forgotten a bit and deserves a bit more attention. Thank you. Well, I look forward to many more conversations with you, and for those of you watching or listening, thank you for being with us. Thank you.